Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it gives life. Help us to listen to you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, leadership. What makes a good leader? This week I was reading a a Time magazine article on what makes the best leaders and the top three voted throughout all history. Coming in at number three, these might not be a surprise to you and there's going to be some pictures come up of these guys. Coming in at number three was Martin Luther King Jr. Number two was Nelson Mandela. And number one, anyone want to have a guess? Who do you think might be number one? No, No guesses? Well, it was Mahatma Gandhi. These guys have been voted and thought of as being some of the best leaders of all time. And as I was thinking about why, why these guys might have been voted and thought of like that, I thought they all share a lot of commonalities. They're all men who are facing harsh opposition and they were determined in the face of it. They were convicted of their cause and many people followed them because of that. They were men who didn't just speak but they were men of action. And I think that's what makes them good leaders. You know, I also tried my hand at being a leader when I was in high school. In my last year of high school, I was voted as being one of the school leaders at that time. And uh, I was, you know, responsible for quite a number of younger students than me. And I uh, got voted this role. But the very next day, after being nominated for this role and voted, I was on a school bus and... uh, There were a bunch of my schoolmates picking on one guy and, you know, I I joined in. So I picked up his bag and chucked it out the bus window, moving bus window. I was meant to be a leader. I was meant to be responsible. I was meant to be the one people look up to, but I was a bad leader. See, there's good leaders and bad leaders, isn't there? And I, I think we're very familiar with bad leaders. We look around at our society and we're often disappointed, aren't we, by... Leaders who say one thing and do another. Who don't meet our expectations. So I I guess, what kind of leader do you like? What kind of leader would you follow? And maybe, you know, if you're honest, maybe you think, I don't want to follow any leader. They just let me down. They bring heartache. I'm disappointed. They're hypocrites. And so maybe you think, I just want to lead my own life. I won't be disappointed if, if I do that. I'll just do what I want to do and that'll be better. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning, there is a leader worth following. There is a leader who's worth following who will change your life. And that's Jesus. And we're going to see a couple of things about Jesus today. We're going to see two things about what kind of leader Jesus is. Jesus is a leader, firstly... He's a leader who is radically demanding. And secondly, he's a leader who is radically good. So he's radically demanding and he's radically good. So we've been looking, if you're here for the first time or just a refresher, we've been looking at the the Gospel of Matthew, a guy who wrote down about Jesus' life. And we're up to the middle of chapter 4. And what have we seen so far about what it talks about Jesus? Well, we've seen that that Jesus is the one who all of God's promises come to fulfillment in. They're all yes in Jesus. But then we've also seen that Jesus is the faithful, obedient Son of God. 
But up to this point in Matthew's gospel, we've kind of seen Jesus has been pretty passive. He's kind of been taking the back seat. Lots of things have been happening around him. But today, in our passage, Jesus goes on the front foot. Jesus starts taking the initiative. So, well, let's, let's see. See, how does he do that? We're going to see Jesus is radically demanding. That's how he takes the front foot. So if you look with me at verse 17, this is how Jesus begins. Chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus, Jesus begins with the same command John gave in chapter 3, verse 2. This isn't a new command. He says, repent. And a few weeks ago, Andrew helpfully helped us guide and, and think about what does repent mean? Repent is, is more than just saying sorry. It's more than just a change of mind. And it's actually what even, it's not a new idea, if, even in Matthew's gospel, this is what the Old Testament prophets called God's people too. They kept saying, turn around, turn back to God. And that's what repent is. It's turn from following your way and turn to follow God's way. A famous English preacher named Spurgeon puts it like this. If you look on the screen, he says, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed, a resolution to forsake it. It is a change of identity of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. It's really that last sentence, isn't it? It's that turning around, loving what you once hated, and hating what you once loved. That is repentance. And that's a radical demand, isn't it? That's, that's what Jesus is putting before people. That's what he wants. And it's even more pressing. You see the time. This is, this is why it's so pressing. Look at verse 17 again. It says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A new age, a new era is coming. So turn and follow me. Jesus is bringing about something new. And he's saying, get on board with what I'm bringing. Jesus wants people to turn from disobedience to obedience. And, but what does that look like? What might that look like? Well, let's look at the next section. Look at verse 18 with me. Jesus starts walking around. It says, from verse 18, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers... Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says to them, Guys, if you want to come, follow me. Please, you know, just tag along and, and follow. Guys, if you, um, you know, if you've got nothing else to do, please join with me. Follow along behind me. And, and what, do they, what do they say? Do they say, Oh, Jesus, you know, we're kind of busy here, kind of doing our job, kind of doing our fishing business, kind of important. We can't just leave our father to do it. Or maybe they say, Jesus, we'll come for a little bit. We'll come until oh, we might get a better offer. Someone else might, you know, put something before us and, and we like that idea more. Or maybe they say, Jesus, we'll come, but until the mo our money dries up and then we need to go back and earn some more money. That's not what happens, is it? That's not, that's not what these guys say. That's not what Jesus says, does he? Jesus says, just see in verse 19, what does he say? He says, 
come, follow me. He demands that they come, follow. And what do these guys do? It says, at once, in verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. And then even a bit further on, he goes on, it goes on in 21. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat, their father, and followed. These guys, they get the radical demand, don't they? They're, they're obedient. They completely change their life from doing one thing to following Jesus. Immediately, they drop everything and go. It's, it's, it's quite radical and amazing. You know, when, when Andrew called me and Mel to chat about coming over here and working in Wellington, we are on the phone and he offered us the job. Um, we didn't get off the phone and hop in our car, drive to the airport and just fly here last July. We didn't do that. We had stuff to do. We needed to pack up our house. We needed to, I needed to finish my study we needed to close some bank accounts. We had, we had farewells to do. We had to say bye to our family. And there was grief. There's sadness. That's, that's what's so radical about what these guys do. They get it right. They, they drop everything and follow Jesus because they listen to his demand. People, like, we don't just walk out on what we're doing, do we? We don't, we don't just leave something behind and... And something else. No one does that. But I love it that these guys, they don't give excuses. They just follow. That's what Jesus is calling people to. That's the kind of leader he is. He's saying, radically, follow me. And as, as I thought about that this week, I thought, how do I, how do I actually go at this, this kind of life where it is all about Jesus, totally following him, a commitment like no other. How do, I go, how do I go at letting go of the steering wheel of my own life and letting Jesus take the steering wheel? And I think it got, it got me thinking about something that happens for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time. For us, I think something happens between when we say, I'm going to follow Jesus and action. Something happens between that. I think somehow being a follower of Jesus just comes this kind of going through the motions. Kind of this ho-hum of just life, of going through the motions and, and doing things. But Jesus doesn't have the steering wheel of our life. And I think the longer we are as being a Christian, the more clever we get at, at kind of putting out this facade of thinking, yeah, Jesus has got the steering wheel, but actually I'm still holding on. And like, how does that happen, I wonder? Well, I think it's because we forget this radical demand of Jesus. The one we follow doesn't say, he doesn't say, just squeeze me in when you can. Just give me little bits of your life when you can. Jesus wants every area of our life to be on about him. And I was, as I thought about this, I was so encouraged by a member of our congregation who was, who was telling me how they, how they do that in their life. Uh, she was telling me about one area where she lets Jesus take the steering wheel. Just a tiny area in her week. And it was at lunch 
in her workplace. She she looks for people. She you know she gets her lunch. She goes and sits down somewhere. But then she looks for people who she can invite to join her with her lunch. She goes around, especially looking for those people who are sitting at their desk by themselves. And she invites them to eat, eat with her. Such a, a tiny little thing, but she's doing it so that she can love, she can care, and she can tell them about her love of Jesus. That's, that's radical. That's letting go of the steering wheel and letting Jesus take the steering wheel in a tiny area of her life. I wonder for you, when you look at your diary for the week, when you're planning your week, do you think about the lunch hour? Do you think about how Jesus can use my lunch hour? Do you think about how Jesus can use your leisure? You are thinking about all these areas in your life and how actually I want to let go of those things and way I might do it, but I'm going to try and do, do it for Jesus. I want Jesus to take the steering wheel in that area. Let me encourage you to think about it this week. When you're planning your week, think about all the ways you could use your time for Jesus and letting him take control of that area. Because Jesus does want the steering wheel. It's just a question of, will we let him have the steering wheel? Well, you might be sitting there, you know, and you're going, Paul, this is crazy talk. Like, Jesus, this is just too demanding. Jesus surely isn't saying he wants our whole life. Like, you said Jesus was a good leader, better than the leaders of this world. You, you might be sitting there thinking that. How can, he, how can he make these demands? Well, I want to say Jesus can make these demands because it's based on who he is. Jesus can demand this kind of radical life change because it's based on who he is. And have a look, who is Jesus? Have a look with me at verse 15 because the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to someone who was coming And I want to say, this is where we see our second point today. Jesus is radically good. Have a look with me at verse 15. It says, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah was looking forward to this time when a light was going to dawn, where it has never dawned before. And who is this light? What's Jesus? Jesus is this light bringing life so people can see for the first time. And if we were to look, so you can see there's a little F at the end of verse 16 there. And down the bottom it goes to say where it's from in Isaiah. If we were to look further down in that passage in Isaiah, verse 6, it talks about... This light is also known as the Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Ruler, the King of the Earth. And that is who Jesus is. Jesus has come to shed light and life on places that are full of darkness. It reminds me of when me and Mel, my wife, we went on our honeymoon and we got to, we were going to the Cook Islands and we ended up at our beach bungalow and we got there in the middle of the night. Total darkness. We'd shuffle in, you know, bumping heads and everything, pulling our bags in and 
we go to sleep, not really seeing much at all. But then the very next morning we wake up and we pull the curtains and we look out and we can see this beautiful expanse of the ocean. We can see this amazing coral reef just glistening. We can see this white sand. You see, darkness had hidden it before, but now we could see. And that's what Jesus has come to do. Jesus is this light dawning so people can see for the first time. He is the king coming to bring life and light to everyone. And that's why he can command and demand us to radically follow him. He is radically good. He hasn't just left us in the dark. He hasn't just left the world in the dark. He has come to it. And we see more of his goodness in the end of our passage today. Have a look with me at verse 23. Chapter 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. This is an extraordinary picture, isn't it? People made whole. Broken people being made whole. Jesus is peeling back the curtain here for us to see this kingdom that he is bringing. Jesus' kingdom is one not just of spiritual renewal, but of physical renewal. It's amazing. In Spain, in a town um, where Christopher Columbus died, there's a monument to this great man. There's going to be a picture come up of this as well. And interestingly, under this statue, there's a lion devouring one of the words of the Spanish motto at that time. Because at the time of Christopher Columbus, the Spanish motto was, no more beyond. And in Latin, it was, ne plus ultra. No more beyond. You see, at the time of Christopher Columbus, the, the Spanish had thought they'd discovered everything. So there was no more beyond. But on this monument, there's a lion devouring the word no. So it's just more beyond. Because that's what Christopher Columbus did. He discovered the Americas. He opened up whole new worlds. Worlds which had already existed in reality. They'd always been there, but in people's mind, they'd just been a part of their imagination. Columbus opened the eyes to the fact that there was more beyond. And that's what Jesus is doing here in chapter 4. Jesus is striding around Galilee, calling people to repent, calling people to follow him, calling them out of darkness, showing them There is more beyond. Jesus is the great light dawning over a kingdom that will take your breath away. A kingdom where death and decay are no more. A kingdom where where sin and guilty consciences are clean. A kingdom where tears of grief are turned to tears of joy. 
A kingdom where people's failures are forgotten. A kingdom where you won't feel tired or confused anymore. A kingdom of acceptance and understanding. A kingdom where anxiety and depression will be gone. A kingdom of healing and resurrection. A kingdom where life is the way it was meant to be. A kingdom in which you will never feel more alive. Isn't that a good kingdom? Isn't he a radically good leader? He is a radically good leader worth following. And these these miracles at the end of this chapter are just a porthole into the kingdom he will bring. Because there is more beyond. So what about us? What does that mean for us? If Jesus is the leader who is radically demanding and radically good. Well, the question is, have you repented? Have you turned and followed Jesus? If you haven't, let me encourage you, today is the day to do that. Today is the day to stop stop steering the wheel by yourself and turning to Jesus. It is worth it. Jesus offers life. But he doesn't just offer life. And he's not like other leaders because Jesus gave up his life. Gave up his life so that he could open the way into this kingdom. Gave up his life so that we could have life. He gave up his life so that darkness could be pushed away and light could be seen. He has forgiven us for our disobedience. And if you follow Jesus, that kingdom, that heavenly kingdom is a certainty. Death is not the end. So don't you want to follow him? Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to repent. Turn and follow him today. And maybe if you've been here and you've, you've been following Jesus for a while, let me encourage you to, to recommit, to, to write down on our communication cards today, I want to follow Jesus. If you're new and visiting and, and you want to take that step and turn and follow, write it down. I want to follow Jesus. It's a good day to do that today. If you want to know more, please write that down. I would love to sit down with you. Andrew would love to, we'd love to tell you more about what it looks like to have a life of following Jesus. If you're, for the rest of us, if you might, be, you might have been sitting here today and you've, you've been following Jesus for a while. Well, I think Jesus calls us to stop fishing for ourselves and start fishing for him. And there's two areas I reckon that, that might play out in our lives. The first one is we need to be on the front foot in telling people and fishing for people, for Jesus. We need to be praying for those people on our five for five cards. How have you been going at that? We need to pray that Jesus will save people that Jesus' light will shine into their lives and they will turn and follow. So we need to pray. But then more than that, we need to love and care and connect with those people in our lives. Take time out to show them love, 
to invite them over for a meal, to show them that you love Jesus. And maybe, maybe even just start a conversation about, you know, leaders out there do let us down, don't they? It's always in the news. Bring up a conversation about leaders that let us down and then point them to, actually, you know what? I've got a leader in my life who's amazing, who is awesome. Don't you want to know about Jesus? Take those opportunities to tell people about Jesus. But then another way is I think we need to live out that daily repentance. A daily letting go of the steering wheel for ourselves and letting Jesus take the steering wheel in our life. So I've sort of three areas that that might play out. And so every morning, maybe you can pray, firstly, that every morning when you wake up, pray that Jesus would help you to live for him that day. And then the three areas that it might play out in is at home. When you're at home with your families, with your spouses, with your flatmates, whoever you live with, how do you let Jesus take control there? Do you look to serve? Serve like Jesus would, by putting others first. Do you look to be the first one to wash up, first one to clean up, first one to do the jobs around the house? Are you the first one to give an encouraging word, to build up? Or are you looking to be critical and demanding? Are you, are you the one in your family who's just always got the Bible open and is going, check this out. This is Jesus. This is the one we follow. Is that you in your family? Second area might be at work. How do you let Jesus take the steering wheel at work? Well, I think it means you want to work hard for him. You don't want to take shortcuts. But I also think we don't want to get caught up in the gossip and the slander and tearing down of others that might happen in our workplace. We want to look to foster good conversation, don't we? Encouraging conversation. If we feel wronged, we should be looked to forgive. Or if we offend and make others feel bad, we, we should be the ones quick to say sorry. That's letting Jesus take the steering wheel. And then maybe a third area might be with your friends. When you're out hanging out with your friends, is your tongue guided by what they're talking about and the things that they bring up? Or is it guided by how Jesus would want you to use your words? See, Jesus wants us to keep turning to him every day. He's a radically good leader. He doesn't want us to squeeze him in when we can, but he wants himself to spill out into every area of our life. A life of daily repentance, I think, is a joy-filled life. It's a life of turning away from the lesser joys in life and turning to the true, greater joy. And that is Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a great leader. That you gave up your life so that we could follow. You gave up your life to give us life. Help us every day to remember that. 
and to daily want to follow you in every choice, in every area, in every moment. Help us to want to follow you and give you our all. In your name we pray. Amen.